Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDOcast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Cam Robinson. Cam, what's going on, man? Ah, not too much, sir, Dim. I've got uh, moving boxes everywhere. We're going to move in a couple days here, and the, the fresh baby. So busy times in my house, but uh, I'm happy to do it. And it seems like every other day you're announcing some sort of a new job or new business venture you have going on. You're, you're arguably the busiest man in the hockey world these days. Yeah, I wear many hats for sure. Uh, getting the director of film scouting elite prospects announced there earlier this week. That was pretty cool. And uh, I was getting a lot of messages, people asking me, you know, is this a, a full-time gig? But no, I'm uh, still a, still a school teacher, still working uh, Dauber Prospects, Dauber Hockey, doing the podcast. So just, uh, yeah, lots of hats. Well, class is in session today because you and I are about to... Um to do a little bit of a fantasy preview. I'm excited about this. I don't typically spend too much time talking about uh, fantasy on the Hockey PDO cast, but obviously now uh, with it being sort of mid to late September, I feel like a lot of people who do listen to the show probably are playing in some sort of a league where they play um, you know, daily fantasy once the season gets going or, or, or have some sort of a vested interest. But even if anyone out there is listening right now and isn't playing in a fantasy league and doesn't really have much interest in it, I mean, we're going to be talking about like players we like and don't like and new situations and sort of what to look for this season. So I imagine there's going to be um, something to gain from it, even from people who aren't necessarily going to be picking these players. Yeah, no, without a doubt, because like you said, it's it's all about deployment and situations and players in new spots and, and younger players developing. And so all these things come together. And, and obviously having a fantasy spin to it is is overly interesting for people, especially as draft weekends are, are pretty much here now. And then next weekend, uh, I'll be doing mine with my buddies anyways, our big one, too. So, um, yeah, there's there's lots of uh, lots of information to be gleaned, even if you're not in the league. What's your uh, what's your history with fantasy? Do you uh, are you playing in any like high stakes or sort of uh, leagues that you're actually like very invested in? Or do you just kind of play for fun or, or or what's your connection with with the fantasy world these days 
Yeah, so um, I've I've got a long running keeper league with uh, with some buddies, a, a couple of them that you know I went to elementary, junior high with, sort of thing, and then uh, mixed in with some university buddies, and, and we're on year, gosh, eight maybe for that keeper league, and uh, it's high stakes. You know, we've got ourselves a big old trophy named the Kapowski after uh, the great Kelly Kapowski there from Saved by the Bell. Uh, pretty decent prize pool. I'm the reigning champ, so I've got the trophy sitting right next to me right now, so it uh, it gives me a little extra boost here while we're chatting. But uh, <laughs> I've got a couple other leagues that are you know one your league some fun stuff some Vancouver media members and and some uh, people on Vancouver Twitter Canucks Twitter accounts there we got like a 20-man league and then on my Patreon group we've got a, another league too so uh, you know sprinkled in with some fun ones too Dan that's busy I like it I um yeah I play a lot of fantasy football I don't play too much fantasy hockey I have uh, a long-standing keeper league like yours with all my high school friends and we're going on year eight or year nine now, I believe, and um, it's it's pretty deep. It's pretty hardcore. There's a, a lot of trash talk going on, and it's a lot of fun, and it kind of keeps us together. Um, you know, it's funny. Last year, I was uh, really all in on the Blues in the preseason. I thought that... Um, you know, they were going to have a great year. I really liked all the additions they made in the offseason and how they bolstered their team. And so, of course, I just thought they were going to be defensively stingy. I thought they were going to win a lot of games. And so even though I don't like Jake Allen and I think he's really bad at stopping pucks, I like the situation so much that I really targeted and invested in Jake Allen and Chad Johnson, thinking that, uh, you know, the Blues were going to have a really successful year and those two guys were going to put up great stats for me. And uh, I guess I was right in the sense that the St. Louis Blues were the best team in the league in the second half of the season and won the Stanley Cup. Unfortunately, I didn't have Jordan Bennington, so um, it didn't ultimately wind up working out for me in that regard. But that's kind of like the um, the roller coaster ride of, of fantasy hockey sometimes where it's all about timing and it's all about um, kind of random luck sometimes. But I think as we'll hopefully get into in this show, like if the process is sound and you're, um, you're kind of you know, pushing, pushing about pushing all the right strings or you're pulling all the right strings or you're on top of it and you're sort of value, targeting certain values, it'll ultimately wind up working out for you in the long run. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, it's funny because I, I keyed in on St. Louis last year too, because they do play that stingy defensive game and, and, you know, they had some decent players and some nice additions too. But for me, like I, I didn't trust Jake Allen, Chad Johnson, but I had Billy Huso mm-hmm. queued up as yep. the next in line, right? After he's had, he had such great years in Finland and then he was great in the AHL. And then, you, you know, we saw what he did last year. He barely showed up in the American league and Bennington jumped over him and, and ran all the way to the cop. So, uh, you know, sometimes you can be all over things and, and still kind of miss the boat on the next big, uh, next big addition. So on today's show, um, we're going to be citing a lot of um, average draft positions, ADPs for certain players, just in terms of when we talk about if we like a player more than consensus or more than people seem to when they're drafting, uh, we're going to kind of cite that and we're going to use Yahoo's obviously with this being a Yahoo uh, sports podcast. And then we're also going to cite some of your your own personal projections that you have out there that people can um, get access to while also helping out a good cause. So I'm going to let you uh, plug that a little more towards the end when we do all our plugs at the end of the show. But just so people know, those are kind of the two uh, main reference points for us when we're discussing certain specifics about players we like and don't like. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, um, you're the guest. I'll, I'll, I'll leave the floor open to you. Where you, we can take this conversation anywhere you want. We can get into players we like a lot, players we don't. Um, you know, general sort of um, a vague outline of sort of what you're trying to accomplish in drafts. You can take this anywhere you want, and then I'll go after you. Cool. Yeah. Let's um, let's start with the positivity, anyways. So, okay. uh, you know, how about how about some guys that we like that maybe are a little uh, little off the radar? Um, 
and uh, I'll throw the first one that's on my list at you, and then you can you can mm-hmm. bounce back to me. So, um, and this guy's been getting a lot of ink uh, this year too as a, as a sleeper. So maybe maybe we can't even call him that at this point. But uh, Rupe Hints, mm-hmm. um, I like what's going on in Dallas right now. Obviously, they've just been a, a one line team for so long. Uh, adding Pavelski and then the development of Hints. Um, I know Corey Perry's there now too, but I also like uh, Dennis Gurianov. Is they've just got some more options there too. So uh, a lot of people are kind of pegging Pavelski to just kind of line up as that second line center and i think that that's a possibility for sure and if that is the case um you know hints looked very good up on the top line with radulov and sagan for stretches in the back half last year so you know sign me up for that if he's playing on on the top line wing um but otherwise i think that hints is going to be their second line winger and i think it's going to be with pavelski and ben i think that they they like to keep radulov and sagan together obviously they have the nuclear option as chicago's been doing for years too where they will put the big three up together but if that does happen you're still looking at hints and pavelski as as kind of a partnership so obviously you know his his deployment on that top power play unit is unlikely to come to fruition and that's going to keep that uh, that glass ceiling on on the total points a little bit lower but last year you know his five on five shooting percentage was low his even strength time on ice is going to see a big uptick um i i think that this kid is is set to put up 50 points and you know you know he could push for even more so he's he's got the pedigree he it takes him historically you know a few minutes a couple of beats to get used to a league and then he takes off and and so that's what i'm looking for this season in dallas yeah he was certainly on my list as well i think uh anyone that watched last year's postseason noticed him whenever you watch a stars game he really popped off the page and you know there was that matt zuccarello effect last Year, and that's why I'm I'm pretty high on the stars this year as well, just because like the baseline for them to clear was so low in terms of getting help to kind of give them a little bit of depth and a bit of a balanced scoring attack. And so when they added Matt Zuccarello when he came back from injury and they entered the postseason with a more balanced attack, teams couldn't just key on key in on the one line and, and it really kind of allowed uh, Rupe Haynes to spread his wings, having a, a talented player like that to play with. And I don't really care where he plays in the situation. If he plays on the wing on the top line, that's obviously great. I think he's on the second line and he's centering it. And even I think in today's um, most recent, uh, there's a Saturday morning uh, line combinations that they're trotting out there for a pre- preseason game, I think. They have Rupe Hints as the second line center with Alex Radulov actually playing with him. And I think Denis Gurianov on the other wing. And that's also an intriguing combination. And, and I think if he is on that second line, just speaking of deployment, you know, that's going to free up some pretty nice, tasty matchups for him, pretty much whoever they play against, because you imagine Tyler Sagan's line up top is going to garner a lot of the defensive attention from opposing teams. And then I, I imagine Montgomery's probably going to want to use Radic Faxa's third line against the other team's best players whenever he can. So that leaves a really cushy opening there for that second line to really feast against secondary and tertiary competition, regardless of who they're playing. And so with his speed and his talent, and as you mentioned, he's kind of historically shown that it takes him a little bit of a while to adjust to new leagues. And then when he does he really takes his game to another level i think in this age 22 or 23 season or whatever of his he could really explode this year yeah, for sure. And, you know, he's a big body guy, six foot three, over 200 pounds, too. And and traditionally, I, I find that we see it, it takes longer for these bigger guys to really hit their their true peak, their true ceiling. Um, he's one of those guys, you know, I kind of earmark 350-ish games, maybe 400 games before you see these big guys really, really step up and hit their true peak. 
Uh, but he's one of these players that I think will kind of bust that mold a little bit. And, you know, he, he legitimately has, you know, 70 point upside, I think, with his skill set. A lot of people kind of raise their eyebrows a little bit that uh, he he went in the second round in, in 2015 that, you know, some people liked him in the first. Some people liked him in the fourth sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I was I was more leaning towards closer to the first round than uh, than the second or third. And so I think Dallas, you know, they they obviously viewed him as as a potential high impact player. And, and we're already seeing it come to fruition. Like last year, he was over a point a game in the American League um, and he'd only played, you know, less than 100 games down there and and, uh, and he was already just he got that adjustment in that first year he was a point a game he stepped up and you know the points on the stretch and, and in the playoffs he had what five goals and eight points in 13 games like that's that's pretty solid production from a, a second line player and uh, staying on that second power play unit and again you know not getting on that top power play unit that's going to hold him back and you know we could have that conversation about uh, Miro Haskinen as well too mm-hmm. is that a lot of people love Haskinen I love Haskinen as a player but realistically, if you're not getting that deployment, I say it all the time: is that deployment is king. If you're not, if you're not getting all the juicy minutes, you're really not going to be able to hit your ceiling at that point. Well, and I mean, this might seem obvious, but it's it really is worth hammering home. Fantasy is all about talent plus opportunity, right? Like we can love a player's ability, and we can kind of, you know, do that hockey Twitter thing where we're like, oh man, like free this player; he should be playing up higher; he should be getting all these premium minutes. But you know, coaches are are pretty set in their ways, and they have certain guys they like and don't like, and certain uh, favorites they like to play and and as you forecast this it is going to be really tough for him to break into that absolute kind of highest tier uh, as the way the Dallas Stars are constructed right now in terms of getting all of those top minutes but I still think based on where you're getting him in drafts and sort of how um, he's flying under the radar still despite all of the postseason buzz and despite all the preseason buzz from people like you and I uh, I still think there is enough room there for him to really exceed his draft capital while still not necessarily hitting that highest gear yet this season yeah exactly and and that's what you're looking for especially you know outside of those first few rounds is you're looking for value right so if you screw up your first round pick in one of these drafts that that's going to set you back a long ways but most of these these leagues are won in the later rounds by mining good value or finding a player off the wire that that is overlooked and all of a sudden their deployment has stepped up or their expectations are changed um and so yeah for me a, a value pick for hinse is it, that's that's going to be looking good outside of that you know eighth ninth round sort of thing okay well I'll, I'll give you another young big body here on my list let's go with andre svechnikov um you know he last year had a six uh, percent on ice five on five shooting percentage uh he's still despite playing under 15 minutes a night and, and having virtually zero power play production i believe he had zero power play goals had a couple assists on there um he still managed 20 goals 37 points and nearly 200 shots on goal as an 18 year old and you know he showed all these flashes throughout the regular season where he'd have this net drive he'd just put his head down and take the puck to the net or he'd do something just special where you're like a guy this big shouldn't be able to do something that physically physically gifted and skilled with his hands and he sort of showed us why he was such a highly regarded prospect and why he went as high in the draft as he did and then you look at sort of the deployment last year where I think people were pretty frustrated with the fact that he was buried down the depth chart a little bit just because of how deep the Hurricanes were where he was playing with Jordan Martinuk and Lucas Walmark and McGinn and then now you look ahead and you try to project it and I don't know exactly how these lines are going to shake out for the Hurricanes because they do have so many moving pieces but I imagine whether it's playing with Ryan Dezingle or Eric Halla or Martin Echash or, or, or even with Jordan Stahl in a more defensive role, he's going to be playing with more talented players in higher leverage situations. And I imagine that ice time as well is going to elevate. And so if you kind of prorate those stats and you expect that in year two, as he's kind of gotten, gotten his footing a little bit and figures out how to use that size even more effectively, I really think the sky's the limit for him. 
Yeah, absolutely right. I, I'm a big, big fan of Sveshnikov. I've got him on my list here too. I think the key with him is that we're kind of waiting for Martin Akash to, to really elevate up and, and take that second line role. And so I think, you know, for a, a kid who played as a teenager in the American League for Nakesh last year, he was tremendous. I think on a weaker team that he would be given that opportunity to be the second line center. And, you know, talking to Sarah Siv last year is that she's pretty confident that the organization would love to pair those two up and have, you know, Tara Vinen and Aho as your is your top line pair. And then you have Nakesh and Sveshnikov. And, and for teams to try to key in on one of those, that's leaving the other one um, some secondary defensive uh, matchups. And, and they're going to hopefully feast on that. What I'm really looking for is hopefully we're going to see him take that spot on the top power play unit and be utilized in the, in the correct way. So he was on the second unit for much of last year and they kind of had him in the bumper spot, um, which is fine. You know, he's he's one of these guys that can score goals from anywhere. And, and he showcased that in the in juniors that, you know, he can beat you from up high with a, a quick wrist shot. Uh, he's got a nice slap shot, but he also isn't afraid to just get in and, and power move to the net and, and get those greasy goals. So I understand that bumper spot net front presence, but I would have him as a trigger man on, on the wing. And uh, and that's where he the majority of his goals have come historically. And so if if we can see that happen, you know, it, maybe it's Niederreiter, Aho, and him, and and they've got Terabinen on the point with Falk or or Gardner or however it shakes out. Is that that's going to kind of be that big crux? Because like you said, he didn't have he didn't have any power play goals last year, and this is a guy that should have <clears throat> pardon me several every season. And so uh, another guy that I'm expecting his his shot generation to go up. You know, he mm-hmm. put up you know maybe two and a half last year. I think a little less than that. I'm I'm thinking that you know pushing three is realistic this year. He clicked at 10 percent i think that he's he's one of these guys that could could live in the 12 13 range so uh you know 30 goals this season seems very doable if you, especially if he's on that top unit and then i think the future holds with him and nakash is is very high for both those players well and there's a couple of these teams whether it is um you know the carolina hurricanes or the vegas golden knights although it seems like with their forwards you're gonna have to pay more of a premium because they're kind of household names already but there's a few of these teams that i expect to also be playing kind of more up-tempo sort of frenetic high-paced hockey which we saw them play last year and so i think that really favors some of these guys like svechnikov and, and you know we can talk a bit more about nito niederreiter who's also on my list and so on and so forth where i just want as many shares of these guys as i can especially with how late you can get them in drafts because we still need to sort of see how the lineup combinations really form and sort of how they're deployed and who they're playing with and who's on the top power play but since you're not really paying much draft capital for these guys i just want to load up on as many of them as i can and see how it works out and then if you have to wind up dropping them eventually because it didn't pan out that's okay because you didn't really invest that much into them no, exactly. And and so when you're, you know, when we're looking at forwards and defensemen, you, you want to grab players from teams that are going to play that high tempo and, and try to outscore their their defensive issues. And then conversely, when you're looking at netminders, um, like we were talking about with St. Louis, you, you want to right. grab a, a netminder from a team that's going to be stingy and, and not trying to outscore their opponents. So, you know, we can talk about Connor Hellebuck later in, in the day here is that their defense in Winnipeg looks decimated now. And all of a sudden he's gone from a guy who looked like a lock for 35, 37 wins that, you know, Winnipeg better score four goals a night if that's going to happen now, too. So. Well, it's weird with, uh, I quickly mentioned Eder just while we're on the Hurricanes, his ADP is uh, 173, and it seems like, uh, I don't know what's going on there in terms of, I think, maybe um, whether it's with people's projections or whether it's it's when people are doing their research, they're sort of looking at his full season stats last year, and they're kind of suppressed a little bit because of his slow start with Minnesota. But, I mean, if you just prorate his uh, his performance with the Hurricanes when he came and started playing and running shotgun with Sebastian Ajo for an 82-game pace, I mean, he was a 32-goal, 70-point, 240-shot guy playing <laughs> over 18 minutes. And there's no Justin Williams right now, and he might 
come and rejoin this team at some point, but at least to start the year, that really also secures his spot on that top line wing next to Aho because it really does feel like they're going to go with some with like some combination probably of Aho, Niederreiter, Teravainen to start, and then you're going to go with you know Dzingo and Svechnikov and so on and so forth down in, in, in the second and third lines, and so. I feel very secure about his spot and anyone that's playing with Sebastian Ajo, it seems like he has reached that sort of rare tier of player and playmaker where whoever's playing with him, he's good enough to basically vault that guy up to a higher level than he would have been otherwise. And I think, you know, you and I both believe that Niederreiter is a good player in his own right. And when he gets to play with a playmaker like Ajo, we see the sort of results that he had last year. And I see no reason why that can't continue in year two with the Hurricanes. No, you're absolutely right. And and this is a guy who had, you know, terrific pedigree coming into the league, a fifth overall pick. Um, obviously, the Islanders had zero patience for him. And, and then Minnesota kind of sold a little low, too. Um, so he's right in his statistical prime, kind of pushing towards the tail end of it at 27 right now. But like you said, you know, when he came to Carolina, he produced. So, you know, 33 points in the back 40 odd games there. Um, his shot generation, he was putting up, you know, over three shots a game. Um, seeing that power play, I, I'm with you. I think that his deployment is as safe as you can uh, hope for on a team like this. Um, and it's, it's the team that I I'm projecting to score a lot of goals. And so, you know, Terrabine and Aho, they're going to go early in in drafts. Um, you may, you're not really sure who's going to be that top line power play guy uh, on the back end. Uh, so, you know, it's Falk, it's Hamilton, it's Gardner. Those guys are going to slide down just because you're unsure, but it, it's players like Niederreiter that you're going to get great value from. And so uh, I think he said he's, he's 172. So that's, that's, you know, you're pushing like 15th round there. Yep, I'm happy. I'd, I'd be you know loving it if I can grab him in the 15th round. I think anytime after that 12th round, um, he would be a, a terrific add, especially in leagues that are, are grabbing hits and shots. And this is a guy that historically lives in the in the low teens shooting percentage wise and can put up two and a half shots a game and, you know, can push 100 plus hits. Um, he's good on your power play. He, he's across the board for a multi-cap player. He's got the size. He's got the speed. Um, I love Carolina. I've already put my money on them as preseason favorites for the cup. So uh, I'm on board with you there. Yeah, but I think they're like their their odds are ridiculous. I think they're like twenty eight to one or something to to win the Stanley Cup, which is uh, not in line. But with, like I, I compare them a lot to a team like the Avs. Uh, I've talked about how they're like the East and West versions of each other. I think the Avs are twelve to one or something like that. So there's a a bit of an imbalance there with, still in terms of people catching up to how good the Hurricanes are and how legit last year was. But no, you're right. And and for people that you know go like oh like everyone's kind of already clued in on sort of shooting percentage variations and and fluctuations and you can't really extract value there. Just look at Nina either rider's career and, and the two times he's been traded and what happened with his on ice percentages at that point and sort of how his team sold exceptionally low for basically uh pennies on the dollar so and that applies to fantasy hockey as well i think people as rational as you think you may be if a guy gets off to a hot start or a guy had a really down year last year and his numbers look bad it, it can be tough to sign us sometimes pull the trigger because you really just kind of buy into what you've seen most recently and, and it's easier said than done but if you take like a big picture view of it and you sort of think okay realistically how replicable is this and sort of unless something structurally changed why why, why is this happening you can often get a lot of value there no, for sure. We all want to buy low and sell high. But in the moment when you're looking at a player who's struggling mightily and you're like, do I really want to buy on this player? And the same thing is that you, you've got the hot ticket and, and everybody comes knocking for him. But even selling high at that point, you're like, well, maybe there could be more to come. So <clears throat> trusting what your eyes see um, versus trusting what the numbers are seeing, too, are, it can be a big difference from time to time. And so you just kind of have to look at those just in real life. Like a, that's kind of the whole fun of this, right, is that you're you're trying to be a real GM. And, and we all have our opinions on all these GMs for all the moves they make and all the, the money they spend it, you, you feel like you could probably do better. And so in fantasy hockey, you get that chance. But when uh, the chips are down, sometimes it's, it's harder than it seems. Yeah. All right. Who's, who's next on your list? All right. Let's take a look here. 
How about we talk about uh, Phil Peronic? Ooh, yeah, I have him on my list as a late flyer. Yeah, we'll give me yeah, a- nice. You know, so the the kid's twenty one. Um, he, he's played barely a hundred games in the American League, and and the whole time he's playing over a fifty point pace on the back end there. Um, sixteen points in the final twenty eight games, playing over twenty two minutes a night in that final quarter for Detroit. So, you know, the the issue is the ghost of Mike Green is still around um, mm. the Red Wings there, and Jeff Blashill. Uh, you know, do you trust him to to wheel out Hronik right off the get go on that top power no. play? No. Yeah, you know, um, I'm not sure. So I, I think that they there's a good chance that we see it kind of split up a little bit. I'm sure they want to see what Hronik can do, but um, Green Green's going to get injured uh, or he's going to falter, and then and then I think that role is going to come to Hronik. And so this is a guy that maybe people are a little bit higher on because of the final stretch there. So uh, maybe someone jumps a little bit earlier in the draft and you miss out on him. But if he's not on that top power play unit, maybe that's an opportunity for you to buy low on a player. So um, I like what's going on in Detroit. You know, I think I think Larkin's the real deal. I think Mantha takes another step and and probably has another step or two coming in future seasons. If you're in a keeper league, you know Zadina's coming, Valena coming um they, they have some really interesting pieces in in detroit and that top power play unit's going to be good for a lot a lot of years and i think that's going to be heronic's job you know i think that he could go off for for 40 45 points this year and, and then we could be looking at 50 55 coming in in future seasons certainly i mean he's one of those guys that's shown um wherever he's played he's produced and i like that as a barometer for guys it's, as it makes me feel more comfortable that he's going to do it at the nhl level as well obviously it's in a different animal but he's shown so far in a limited set sample whenever he's gotten the opportunity that he's made the most of it and i like also targeting in fantasy sometimes i know it's not like the sexy thing like we talk about the hurricanes for example and it's like a lot of people are in on them and so you know their players get talked up because they're going to be the talk of the league and everyone and they're going to be winning a lot and so they're going to be on the highlights and, and you want to have those guys but i think there's a lot of value to be had in good players on bad teams or players that you believe are going to be put in a position to succeed statistically on bad teams and so you know you mentioned larkin there and i still think uh, last I checked, his current ADP was like 127 or something. And what? that's crazy to me. I mean, he's behind Jack Hughes. And listen, I love Jack Hughes, but that's a classic example of sort of the hype of the unknown where everyone, no one's going to be like, ooh, nice pick when you take Dylan Larkin because it's as crazy as it sounds considering how young he is. He's already been around the league and the Red Wings don't have a lot of hype, whereas Jack Hughes, number one overall pick, and the Devils with all the moves they made, everyone's going to want a piece of that. But you look at Larkin last year and, you know, he was top 40 in both goals and points. He was top 10 in shots. He was top 10 in ice time amongst forwards. And he was playing nearly 22 minutes a night. And I think that McDavid and Dreisaitl were the only forwards that played more than him at 5-1-5. And so the Red Wings really are pretty barren, especially down the middle as as their main roster is currently constituted. And so they kind of, by necessity, just basically have to go get Larkin, Mantha, get out there as much as you can and as much as your bodies can hold up for. And we saw that last year where they just basically rode him and he clearly performed and produced and uh, looked great doing so. And I, I don't see any reason why that's going to change this year. So I think his volume is going to be so uh, extreme that, you know, maybe if you still play for some reason in a plus minus league, that'll look a bit ugly. But otherwise, I think, um, you know, especially with the shots and the points and, and and the ice time, like it's going to be so high that it's crazy that he's going this late in drafts. 
Yeah, that's that's insane. I'm looking at the ADPs here too, and you, you know they've got they got Marcheseau and, and Pavelski and, and these guys that are that are you know have the the center rating and Sean Monahan, Elias Lindholm, all all getting drafted ahead of him. And for me, that that's just nuts. So like you said, every, everything's kind of in line for him. He gets all the prime ice. He shoots the puck a ton. Uh, you know, like are we gonna be surprised if he plays 22 and a half minutes this year in all situations and, and three minutes on that top power play unit? Like I, I'm not and. Uh, and I don't think by any means that that 73 points in 76 games is is going to be an aberration or going to be a career high because all the metrics, they, they appear, you know, pretty solid. Uh, his shooting percentage is, is right in line. His five on five shooting percentage is, you know, it was a touchdown from the year before. Um, you know, he's not seeing a ton of offensive zone starts. So he's, you know, just over 50 percent. So all these situations is that he's going to be leaned on a little bit to play some some defensive minutes for them too but if they want any production it, it's going to be coming from him and him, from his line and, and like you said that a lot of these teams like Colorado and Carolina and Winnipeg and the, the you know Washington that have the big power plays and they have the big names uh, they're going to go early and often but but these teams like the Detroit uh, Vancouver's got some interesting players this year too that uh, traditionally kind of bad teams the last few years um, there's going to be great opportunities for players to step up and take those minutes and, and that's what matters right getting those minutes yeah um well speaking of getting those minutes let me give you a name that's on my list here that i like victor olofsson um so the sabers are uh for my money incredibly thin on the wing still even after signing marcus johansson um you know olofsson another one of those guys who's produced at every level he's played at in, in 2017-18 he had 27 goals in 50 shl games in 2018-19 the following year he had 30 goals in 66 ahl games and last year he i believe he was you know, a point a game or whatever in the AHL. And then when he got called up for a late season cameo, he had six points and 21 shots in six games and played riding shotgun with Eichel and Skinner. And at least for the time being, I imagine they do want to split those lines up a little bit and give uh, Casey Middlestad a bit of a life raft with Sam Reinhardt. So I think that on occasion, they're going to load up their top line with those top three players. But I think they do still want to play Reinhardt on that second line to give them a bit more of a balanced attack. And so the big beneficiary there, I think at least for the time being, is Olofsson. And we'll see if he can stick. But but that's one of those cases where I think whoever plays with Skinner and Eichel just by def- by sort of default of being on the ice with them is going to get a lot of uh, production. And he seems to be a legitimate player in his own right. So I know he's a bit of an older prospect, but I do still like his situation. I'm not sure where he's going in drafts, but I can't imagine uh, just by the fact that, you know, he's a bit of a lesser heralded prospect and he is playing on the Buffalo Sabres. He's not necessarily a guy people are coveting. So I, I like targeting that situation as well. No, I think you're I think you're spot on there. This guy's a finisher, right? He's been throughout his career and and like you said that often these rookies that everyone pays attention to are 18, 19 years old and that's great. Some of them can step in and be Elias Pettersson and and go off for for 65 plus points or, or what Jack Hughes or Capocacco is going to do. Uh, but you're going to pay a premium and you're going to leave some established talent on the board to go out and, and reach on those players. But a guy like Olsen who's 24 years old, a bit unheralded despite having the numbers in in the in the lower tier leagues in the feeder leagues. Um, and then I think you're right. I think this is a type of player that they would love to put on that top line and have him be a trigger man you know that that's with Skinner Eichel and Olsen that's three players that could legitimately score 30 goals at some point um if Olsen everything breaks right but the thing too is that he's not all that defensively sound so you don't have to worry about him getting buried in his own zone or you know seeing 40 percent offensive zone start times like he had in his small sample there 60 percent of his, his shift started in the offensive zone and i'm sure the coaching staff is going to try to insulate him and keep him in those situations um and then you know yeah i think he's either in your top six or he's not in the league and so this is a player that's shown capable of producing at high levels in the american league it's a team that needs more goals they need more offense they need to spread out that scoring that it just makes too much sense to keep him in that top six 
Dixon. So even if he does slide down and plays with Casey Middlestat, another player I think people are sleeping on. He had all the hype coming in, and now even after mm-hmm. just a single season, he seems like that that post-hype sleeper already, um, who I expect to take a step forward, and I think he has a lot of skills as a, as a setup man to set up a player like Olsen. So I think his his position is, is pretty sound there at 5-on-5. Five five. Obviously playing on that second power play unit, it's going to be like we, we can say it, just keep that uh, every time we talk about a second power play unit, it's going to diminish their, their true overall value, but at the same time, you know, there could be worse units, you know, playing with a guy like Middlestat and Shiri, and then on the back end, you're looking at Ristolainen and maybe Brandon Montour or mm-hmm. someone like that, too. So there, there's there's worse situations. Um, you probably only see 90 seconds night on that unit. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think this is a kid that could step in and score 20-plus goals and, and, you know, push 45, 50 points, if, uh, especially if he stayed on that top line. All right, give me another name. Let's go down the list. How about Devin Taves? You're just nailing all the guys on my list, hey? We probably have the same list. You know, Barry Trotz, he, he appears to love this guy. So, you know, he, he worked his way up through the season, worked up the depth chart and on that power play, you know, he was playing two minutes of power play per night for a while. And then in those uh, up, up to over three minutes in the playoffs where he put up five points in eight games, you know, he's, he's able to shoot the puck with um, some frequency there over two shots per game. Um, you know, the Islanders, their, their top power play unit isn't as tasty without John Tavares around. And, and we knew that was going to happen and we knew it was going to be there's going to be some stumbles and some hiccups as they adjusted through that. But I think that, you know, Matt Barzell reasserts himself as, as a premier distributor in the, in the league this year. Um, you know, Anders Lee remains an elite net front guy who, you know, he scored 40 in the past. I think he's a safe bet for 30. Um, it could be a worse, there could be worse spots for him. And, you know, we've we've just kind of defunct or um, just uh, landed on Nick Letty to be their top guy for so many years. It's just kind of happened that way that nobody really wants it to be him. Um, you know, we've looked at Ryan Pollock over the years and waited for him and his big shot. But I, I really think that Devin Taves is going to get a chance to, to take that job and run with it for a while. And if that's the case, you know, this is a guy that many people are, are probably sleeping on in a big, big way that could be top power play defenseman that's there's only 31 of those in the league usually you know maybe a couple of teams will run the three plus two but that's that's kind of a, a foregone thing now um that uh, i like taves to, to push 40 plus points if he can live in that spot i do too i think he's an incredibly talented player and he gives the new york islanders um a level of dynamic play that they they need from that blue line um and sort of a playmaker for them that can kind of help uh generate a bit of instant offense for them that they don't have throughout the lineup and so they're also a team that are especially on the blue line it's a situation i'm monitoring because they have a bit of a log jam in terms of the players they have there and it's a league right now where there's a lot of teams that don't have enough defensemen and they're kind of rumored in a lot of trades and potentially nick letty could be out the door or some of these other guys they have but the one name i feel very comfortable saying will be on the unders for sure will be Devontae's. and so even if they make one of those trades that'll benefit him because that'll open the door for a little bit more ice time for him and i i i I always worry in, in these sort of Barry Trotz teams and especially you know, a guy with his skill set where they might not fully sort of take the training wheels off of him and really just let him soar. But I, I do think that, um, especially for where you're getting him in drafts, it is kind of worth a, a late round lottery ticket because he could be a special player. No, for sure. Because like, yeah, like you're saying, when you get to, to the tail end of the draft, you're you're picking up, you know, defensemen that maybe can fill out some categories for you. If it's a roto league and it's, it's multi-category um, or you're, you know, hoping a prayer on a, on a young player like M. Bouchard, maybe he can come in and steal that top PP job. But, uh, you know, you could be sitting there and there's a player that that maybe doesn't have a gift wrapped or, or you know, chiseled in a stone, but a, a, a very good shot at being that top power play guy and has experience there and shown that he, he can produce those numbers. And like you said, he's he can create. He can create offense for them from the back end, and that's something that their their defensive core has lacked for a lot of years. 
Okay, look, Cam, let's take a quick break to hear from a sponsor, and then we're going to keep going with our list of other things. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDOcast is SeatGeek. If for whatever reason you've held out till now and haven't been willing to give SeatGeek a shot for all your ticketing needs, it feels like now is finally as good a time of any to do so because sports season's really picking up. Hockey season is not even just around the corner anymore. It's here. Uh, we're in the middle of preseason. The puck drop on opening night is less than two weeks away. Um, so you'll have a chance to go out and have a fun night out and watch your favorite team play an actually meaningful game, hopefully. And and as exciting, it feels like it's been forever now uh, since we've gotten to watch actual competitive, real meaningful hockey. So I'm really looking forward to that. And obviously doing so live is an entirely different experience than sitting at home and watching it on your TV or on your laptop. So you should really take advantage of that. And SeatGeek is going to make it as easy as possible for you to do so by saving you time, money, and effort because all they care about is the customer experience and making it easy for you to get those tickets and not worry about all the logistics so that you can just go and have a fun night out either by yourself or with your loved ones. And how they do so is they do all the work for you. SeatGeek proves that there's an easier way to get tickets. They have all the tickets you're looking for in one place. They search the web for you. They pull millions of tickets into one place and then they actually grade those tickets based on a value. So they rate each of them on a deal on a scale of one to 10. And then they display them on an interactive seat map and they break the details down for you. So basically all you have to do is look for the green dots, which indicate a good deal. And you stay away from the red dots, which are overpriced ones. And every purchase with SeatGeek is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets with confidence knowing that what you're paying for is what you're going to get. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone and I've found that it's by far the easiest and fastest way to find tickets, whether it's for a hockey game or any other sport, really basketball, football, baseball. Um, you can even get it to go watch a concert, uh, a stand-up comedy special, so on and so forth. If there's a ticket available, Seeky's going to have it and it's going to be the place that you want to go to to find them. And if that's not enough, SeatGeek is actually going to sweeten the pot for you even further by giving you $10 off your first purchase with them just for listening to today's episode of the Hockeypedia Cast. All you need to do is use our promo code and let them know that we sent you. So download the SeatGeek app today and use our promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. Now let's get back to the show. Okay. Um, you, you, give me, give me another name. Give me, a, give me another name while we while we go here through here. Yeah, sure. I, I I'm just kind of going down my list here. So I got um, Jesper Bratt next. Okay. Uh, yeah, I got. Yeah, I can I can run out a whole bunch of you. Well, on let's let's talk about the Devils a little bit. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I didn't have Brad on my list, but I did have Gusev on my list, and I had I, a, uh, I had a listener question here, and so. They're obviously a very trendy team. I'm, I'm working on my uh, on my watchability rankings for for this season, and the Devils mm. are probably as high as the Devils have ever been, just because of the intrigue of you know you're presumably you're getting Taylor Hall back now, and he's in a contract year, and it's not too far removed from being the the most valuable player in the league, and you're getting PK Subban in with a lot to prove that he still has it after the down year he had in Nashville, and you draft Jack Hughes, and people want to see how NHL ready he is, and then you get Nikita Gusev, you have Wayne Simmons coming in on a one-year sort of prove-it deal for just to, to shoot, show someone that they should pay him, and he still has a bit of juice left and tank, and so you have all these guys coming in, and then with the talent already in place with the Kyle Palmieri's and Nico Hishiers, and the sort of up-tempo system that John Hines uh, ideally wants to play there's a lot of stuff to like there and we'll see how it all plays out but Gusev uh, you know he has an ADP of 167 now and I think people are still 
a bit unsure in terms of how a player's numbers from overseas translate, especially at this point of their career. And I think a lot of people were probably burned by Vadim Shipashev a couple years ago, and and especially people like like me who uh, in their in their keeper league targeted him instead of Evgeny Dadanov. And so. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big believer in Gusev and in his talent, and he's shown on the international scene that he can play with the best players in the world and just sort of his production in the KHL. Like, if it was good, that'd be one thing, but just how good it was in comparison to especially some names that we know from their time in the NHL, I I feel very comfortable saying he's going to step in right away and produce. And so this Devils team all of a sudden has at least two or three scoring lines filled with a bunch of interesting names. No, yeah, you're spot on. For my notes here for Gusev, I, you know, I got people can talk about Shipashev all they want, um, you know, and they can ramble on that Gusev hasn't proven anything in the NHL yet. Um, but I'm I'm fully convinced that this guy's going to just feast in New Jersey. That his skill set is just supreme, and and he's the skills that he have are in demand. So he's got speed, he's got he's got the quick hands, he's got the nice release, he can distribute the puck, the awareness on the ice, and then you couple that with, like you said, all those players that are going to be playing in New Jersey. Um, so you know, I think that there's a good chance that him and Jack Hughes are. are kind of linked up as a, as a pair on that second line. Um, in early preseason action, we've seen kind of Gusev get half his time with Hisher, half his time with Hughes. Um, so maybe he's maybe he's isolated from Taylor Hall at even strength, but they're all going to play together on that top power play unit. Um, and so, you know, you were talking about Wayne Simmons. I'm sure the Devils brought him in to add a little bit of sandpaper in that top six. Uh, and I think that's probably who starts out on the, on the second line right wing. But can he keep up anymore uh, speed wise and especially with two players like uh, Gusev and Hughes, if that's how it lands is, you know, when can he stay healthy? I have my doubts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in which case, and then we can look at the, you know, Jesper Bratt, who I think has produced in small, sa- smaller samples and he's a speedy, skillful player that, you know, maybe that line doesn't have enough, enough meat for your traditional lineup card, but um, put them together and they could just be a bunch of water bugs out there creating and, and producing a lot of offense. And so um, I love what's going on with New Jersey these days too. I, I'm buying hard, you know, another player we, you haven't mentioned yet is Ty Smith, who I think would have been in line to steal that top power play job as a defenseman as a rookie this year, if it wasn't PK Subban, but he's a, he's a type of player that could be, you know, sliding into a second unit and, and producing at five on five a little bit and just generating, just generating chances and getting that puck up and out and transitioning it in a hurry. And that's, that's what you need to see. And that's what, was missing a little bit there too. You know, they had Sammy Batten and they had Will Butcher, but those guys are they're they're one dimensional in the sense that they can they can create a little bit and they have the good feet. But um, I think that Ty Smith and PK Subban just elevate that group just so much more. And then, you know, even even Jesper Boquist is is a nice addition. So mm-hmm. he's a young player that, that you know another skillful young player that's going to be coming in and pushing for a spot. And you know, it's probably Brat and Boquist with Zajac in the middle. And so that'll be a, a kind of a weird third line. I wouldn't call that a checking line by any sense. But mm-hmm. Zajac's not definitely a, not a, a a real creator play creator out there but like you said the watchability for this team is going to be very very high it's it's going to be a team that people are reaching for and at the sense that you know they're going to reach for Hughes they're going to reach for Hall I think Nico Hischer's the guy that's going to slip down a little bit as people project Hughes to steal that number one job right away and it's easy to forget the first overall pick and he's just 20 years old that I've, I've got him on my list here too that I think that his numbers are, are set to kind of jump out as well yeah no this team is loaded with um intriguing talent and, and you know i don't know if from a fantasy perspective the volume of last year is going to be there just because of all these new names that are coming in and the health they have heading into this season for a guy like blake coleman and miles wood but they also have that sort of speed um and sort of i guess that element of sandpaper that you're talking about with simmons where they're gonna fit nicely into this team and sort of the identity of just being really difficult to play against and 
skating incredibly hard and fast. And so I'm really looking forward to watching them. And um, if you're a bit still gun shy about it and you don't want to pay that premium or you don't want to buy in the hype on those top two guys, I love targeting the Gusevs and the Brats of the world to try and get a piece of them here, um, assuming that they're going to play in the top six and play with those great players without having to pay the price that you're paying for the other guys. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the fears of Gusev, I think, are still there that it's going to keep him down draft boards a little bit. And, and f- I see little reason to, to expect him not to hit 60 points this year. Um, and, you know, he could, he could walk in and he could have a Panarin like uh, first season and, and he's older and he's, he's a little more experienced, too. And I think that he will there might be there might be some hiccups early on in the season as he adjusts to the ice and to the speed and. But uh, but no, I, I've got him penciled down. Actually, I should pull him up on my rankings and see what I've got him here as um, on my projections. I've got him up for 24 goals and 61 points in 74 games. So, uh, you know, missing a few games there, too, as, as we often see from rookie players, even even the older ones. But, you know, he that's over 0.8 a game sort of thing. And, and if you can get that a little bit later in the draft, that that's going to provide some nice value. Absolutely. Um, OK, there's two situations that. I'm monitoring and I'm interested in. They're for wildly different reasons, but I'll start off with the Ducks here. And I'm really interested in them because I don't think they're going to be very good this year, although I do think, as we've seen in years past, I don't know how bad they're going to be from a win-loss perspective just because John Gibson's going to keep them in so many games. But it seems like they really have embraced this youth movement, right? They buy out Corey Perry. Uh, they still obviously have Ryan Getz out there. But for the most part, this is all of a sudden a pretty young team, uh, unproven team that can skate. And I do love the hiring of Dallas Akins here because of his connection with a lot of these players in the AHL playing with San Diego. And so whether it's Sam Steele or Troy Terry or Max Comtois, um, and then, you know, we can get into obviously Raquel and, and Andre Kasha as well, but I don't know how it's going to play out, what these lines are going to look like, who's going to be deployed, how, but I do believe that this is a situation where no one's really excited about the Ducks and no one's really targeting them, but there's enough young talent here and with the coach in place that is presumably empowered to, um, you know, live with these growing pains and not necessarily try to squeeze out as many wins as he can right out of the gate and really embrace this full process. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, fantasy goodness here to be gained, even if it, it it comes in losing efforts, just because there aren't too many players ahead of them on the depth chart. No, I, I think you're spot on. It, the the lines will probably be in a blunder for the entirety of the season. Um, you know, I, I kind of hope that they maybe they wheel out a, something like a, a Steel Comtois Terry line, or or maybe they just partner up Raquel with Sam Steele. Um, I think that we're hoping that Ryan Getzlaff can find a little more juice in the tank, and uh, and maybe him and Andres Kasha come together. You know. Uh, Everything that could be said about Kasha has been, you know, the guy's an, an elite shot generator. Um, the, the thing is that he just needs to stay healthy. And if he can, I think 30 goals and, and 60 points is totally doable, if, if, especially if Getzlaff can can maintain that that puck possession in that distribution game. But, you know, we didn't talk about Max Jones. They got Devin Shore. Daniel Sprong's probably going to be on this team. Nick Ritchie. Like, this, that's a bunch of U23, U24 guys that are going to be littered across this lineup. And, and like you said, Dallas Eakins, that, that's, that's kind of his mandate is that he's, he's a young player coach, that he can relate to these guys. He has the experience with, with them down in San Diego. Um, what Troy Terry did down there last year as a, as a AHL rookie, you know, putting up a point a game, I, I thought was tremendous. And then he looked good for half a season in, in, in Anaheim as well, too. So, um, I think, I think it's going to be difficult for them to score a ton of goals throughout the year just because you're 
you're not going to be able to to really to really line up a, a powerful top line that that teams can really look at. But if you can yep. spread it out, I think that it'll be there'll be some drips and drabs of some nice offense. And then, like you said, John John Gibson is is probably their best player. He is their best player, but he's probably their best fantasy asset as well. As long as they can they can play stingy enough defense in in front of him, and you know they've got Hampus Lindholm, they've got Josh Manson, who's still a, a really strong player. I think Cam Fowler is kind of that de facto top power play guy, which is, you know, not great for, for that top unit there either. But um, like you said, there's a lot of young players and something that they can look towards building towards in the future too, for especially for keeper leagues. You know, I'm, I'm a big Troy Terry guy. I, I think that he's he's that young piece that I would be want to lock into if I'm in a points only league. And then, you know, maybe Max Comtois if we're looking at some bangers. Yeah, well, I just like how they've, like, it seems like there's actually, like, a, a plan here in place all of a sudden, and they're moving in the right direction. They're not just kind of holding on to that old core that they had. And, um, you know, we saw from Sam Steele, I bet Detroit Terry had an awesome year in the AHL, and, and he had some growing pains in the NHL when he came over, as expected. Sam Steele sort of started the year just out of necessity because they had so many injuries out of the gate, and he really struggled, and then he went away for a while. And, and when he came back, uh, he produced at the end of the year, and... Ricker Raquel is a really interesting player to me because he's one of these guys where he like got better and better every year. And I think he even had a couple back-to-back 30 goal seasons and seemed like he was going to be a lock to be that consistent goal producer. And then now at 26 years old, everyone's kind of just sort of writing him off and forgetting about him or, and are kind of viewing him as the sort of old beard on this team. But I mean, he had a year from hell where he just couldn't buy a goal for pretty much the first like 70 games and then he scored seven of his 18 goals in the final seven games he still wound up shooting under 10 percent for the season and he's a consistent shot generator as well so i think that they're going to rely on him quite a bit whether it's down the middle or on the wing uh he's definitely going to be in the top power play they're going to be using him in every situation they can and so he seems like a guy that from a volume perspective at least for this year could be really overlooked and then a lot of these other guys are sort of a wait and see approach and especially if you're in a long-term dynasty or keeper league you you keep an eye on them because there could be something special forming here maybe two or three years down the road yeah without a doubt with Raquel it's funny he seems to do well at the tail end the, the back quarter back half seems to be his time to shine and, and like you said he had a very difficult season you know scoring five goals in the first 30 games or, or so or whatever it was there and, and just not being able to generate the shots at the same level that he historically had and then in, in the back half he, he ramped it up even though his deployments stayed the same and you know like you said he shot under 10 percent nine nine percent there and this is a guy that that should realistically live in the you know 12 to 15 range he's clicked on a full season at 18 and a half percent so he's he's a proven finisher and like you said 26 years old like this is the this is the meaty part of his statistical prime and and he the thing is is that does he have the center that can that can create the space for him to finish um so if that's sam Steele, that's great uh, at this point it's tough to kind of put that burden onto a young player like him and so then now we're again we're hoping for ryan gets left to, to kind of find some old magic and and i think that you know, I think Getzlaff in a situation like Joe Thornton's been in on if he was on a, a really deep team and he could play kind of in a lesser role in, that, in the bottom end of that top nine and, and kind of work without facing top defensive matchups that, that Getzlaff could really be an interesting player still that could produce some points and, and rack up the assists and really help out some of his wingers. But he's probably going to be viewed as the top line center when, when teams are coming into town. And so that's going to, that's going to put those matchups against him. And if Raquel's with him, then that's probably going to hurt him a little bit as well. But, you know, 18 goals last season, I think that's an aberration. I, I've got him down for, you know, 25 anyways yeah. on, on a week Anaheim squad. And if he went out and popped 30 again next year, I wouldn't blink an eye. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good, uh, 
good comparison to the Joe Thornton thing. I, I hope there is one more chapter in Ryan Getzlaff's career where maybe in a couple of years here, uh, assuming he's still on the team, assuming his body still holds up, and, and some of these prospects really pan out and give them a bit of a sort of top six nucleus that he can sort of have that one last ride where he's just an awesome sort of veteran that is just feasting in, 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 in third line minutes and doing a lot of stuff on the power play for them. Yeah, for sure, because that's where he traditionally has pieces, especially on the power play. So if they can get that top power play going, you know, that big body has got the long reach and he's the mind is still there. The soft touch is there. The skating's what's been slowing down. And, yeah. and so, yeah, definitely, if they can if they can get that power play moving and shaking in the right direction, you know, he could still have some value this season. But I, I'm with you. I'd, I'd love to see a, a late, late career heyday for, for Getzlaff and maybe the Ducks can push push forward with this young core because that's what we want to see. Right. We want to see teams embracing the youth and the skill and then witnessing success so that other teams mimic them, because as we see it's a copycat league and so if uh, if the, the bangers go out there and win a cup then all of a sudden we've got a bunch of tight uh, tight checking games the next <laughs> season yeah. uh, the other situation that i had monitoring here was the columbus blue jackets and obviously whenever you lose as much name brand talent as they did with matt duchene and sergey bobrovsky and andre and obviously artemi panarin um heading out the door i think a lot of people are off of them now and just expecting them to completely bottom out but i obviously the star power isn't there especially up front you know with with uh, Wierenski and Jones, they have a lot to build around on the back end. Up front, there's a lot of question marks, but whether it's Emil Bemstrom, who led the SHL in, in goals as a 19-year-old last year and completely just eviscerated the World Juniors, or Alexander Texier, who's also one of those guys that's produced at every single level, or Josh Anderson, who's constantly one of the league's sort of most unheralded and best goal and shot producers at five on five. Um, you go on down the line, you know, Boone Jenner, potentially so on and so forth. I think there's a lot of depth here and a lot of guys that can just play. And I'm really curious to see how this blue jacket season unfolds from the perspective of whether they can sort of, they're being overlooked, but maybe there's just such a, uh, a level of depth there and such a sort of identity in place in terms of guys who all sort of play a similar game and can be really feisty and annoying to play against where they could surprise people and be a lot better than I think people are expecting them to be. I'm with you on that for sure. I, I think that everyone's kind of writing them off because of the the exodus of talent there, and and that's fair. That obviously they 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 pushed their chips in. Yarmo Kekalainen, he he showed the brass and and decided to hold on because you know he could have he could have pulled in some nice some nice pieces there from Panarin. I'm not sure about Bobrovsky because you know any any contending team that doesn't have a goaltender is probably not a contending team at the deadline. Right. But uh, but you know I, I I'm a big fan of Alexander Texier. Uh, what he did last season was very very impressive as as a 19 year old. You know the kid just turned 20 a couple of days ago, but you know, put up nearly a point a game in the Liga, crossed over, put up a point a game, five goals in, in seven games there in the AHL, jumped up and then looked quality in the, in the National League too. And so, you know, that that's that's something that's something for a kid that, uh, you know, a French kid too from France that it's it's unheard of, I would say. And so I think that he's the guy. I like Emil Bemstrom too. I thought he was tremendous in Sweden last year. I, I loved him at the World Juniors. You know, he, his game was popping out but I think he, he, we see Texier uh, rolling up there with uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois and Cam Atkinson and I think that that's a reasonable top line I think PLD takes a step forward big center with the with the proven talent he's got the pedigree um, I think he takes another step forward developmentally and then you know someone that kind of got forgot about is Alexander Wenberg who mm-hmm. his his game has just fallen off a cliff a little bit um, but it has also coincided with his deployment dropping down and so all of a sudden we're looking at him probably suiting up with maybe Gus Nyquist and Oliver Bjorkstrand who I another player who I've been high on for a lot of years um, just kind of waiting for him to hit his, his stride and I think this year he'll get those top deployments and then as you said you know Josh Anderson's great Boone Jenner's great Nick Foligno that's a heavy third line that can generate offense that can hem teams in 
Um, and then, you, and then you're looking at probably Emil Bemstrom just hanging out on that fourth line or, or down in the top line in the American league. But, um, whenever you can roll out Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones for 30 minutes a night, that's not going to hurt. I'm a big fan of, uh, Marcus Nadvara. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that they, they have some really interesting pieces. And then of course in net too, right? Like what's going to happen there? Is it going to be Eunice Carposalo? Is it going to be Elvis Mers Lincolns? Um, I, I think they'll, they'll probably share to start out the, the season, but I, I like Elvis. I think he's in the building and I think he's going to take the job. <laughs> he's been great in internationally he's been great in his club teams over in europe um he's an older rookie too so that that's a player that i'm another one that i'm looking at late in drafts as you know as a sneaky third goalie that could take over the starting role on and what i i expect a team that's gonna probably push for a playoff spot a wild card spot and and maybe miss out but they're going to be in the race for for a lot of the season yeah and i love the the vote of confidence of they're basically like we're just going to go in with these two guys and we'll see how it goes and and uh we'll adjust accordingly but it would have been a bit disappointing for me if they went out and got that sort of like just generic veteran goalie because you need that sort of experience to give you 25 to 30 safe but incredibly underwhelming starts. It, it, it really does seem like they're just going to go with those two guys and embrace it and see how this year goes. And I, I sort of love that attitude and that perspective. And uh, I'm much higher on Columbus than I think uh, consensus is. I am a bit worried about the top guys in, in Atkinson and Dubois just because their numbers without Panarin uh, – albeit in a limited sample size because those three guys were glued together for so long, were so poor last year, and that would just make sense from how good of a possession player Panarin is and how much of the ice he opens up for the guys around him, especially for a guy like Atkinson who wants to just hang out and shoot. And so um, I imagine there's going to be a bit of an adjustment there, but you're right. If, if a guy like Texier is able to slot in there and take the next step and prove that he's the real deal, then I don't think the drop-off is going to be that seismic. No, I, I, I don't see Atkinson scoring 40 goals again. You know, I think he's probably a safe bet to score 30 next season. Um, and then, yeah, it, it's it's losing Artemi Panarin. It's going to hurt for sure. And, and like you said, Atkinson, he's he's a finisher, but he's not a, a necessarily a driver of play. And in all situations, he's not going to be able to create for himself all the time. And so that's when when we're looking at Dubois to really take a, a next step in his development. And, and you know, for a big player... He's one of these ones like I talk about that usually takes a little bit longer, but you know, he's, he's just turned 21 and he already put up, you know, he was paced at the, what he put 60, 60 plus points last season, a nice step forward after the 48 as a rookie. So another player that I think he's going to take more of a, more of a role as a shooter. I think we see his shot rates go up. Um, another guy that I think can finish at a high rate. Um, he hits, he blocks some shots, he takes faceoffs, um, he wins faceoffs too. So I think that that's going to happen a little bit more for him. He's going to win some more faceoffs in these multi-cat leagues, but you know, I, 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 I haven't been penciled in for 30 goals next year. I think Atkinson's going to get 30 goals next year. So there's going to be there's going to be some some goals going around in that top 6 and then that heavy third line, you know, Josh Anderson like he said he's he's underrated for his shot generation in the way that he can finish and get into those greasy areas. And so it's going to be scoring by committee a little bit. And then I think a lot falls on to Wenberg is that can he refine his game? Can he maybe match up with with fellow Swede, Gus Nyquist there and, and, and him and Bjorkstrand and those guys kind of as a flashy second line? Because Nyquist and Bjorkstrand, they're shooters and Wenberg's a pure passer. So if, if they can click, then then they might have something going on. If, if Wenberg falters, um, then you're moving ben, Boone Jenner up and, and you're kind of mixing and matching a little bit. And I think things could go off the rails quickly at that point because then you can just key in on that top line and then all bets are off. Yeah, well, the opportunity is certainly there. And uh, I think we like the individual talent so we'll see if there's a, a a nice marriage between those two but i'm optimistic um give me let's do a couple more names we like before we get into some uh, listener questions and guys we don't like for sure um i like kevin lebonk yeah. the bank yeah i i you know i i think that he's 
he's a, he's a high quality player in all situations and he's a late bloomer to boot. So I love rooting for those underdog guys. Um, you know, the top line is coming. He's going to see three to four more minutes per game. Um, a little bit of that's going to be on the power play too, but most of it's going to come at even strength. And I think that if he just kept pace with what he did last year, which I, I would consider a modest expectation as, as developmentally, he's going to take another step forward. He would have pushed up for, for 70 points last year with that additional, with those additional minutes. So um, getting onto that top power play unit, that's going to be the big question mark is, you know, does, does San Jose split up Burns and, and Carlson and run a four plus one? Um, they're probably the only team in the league that I'm okay with running a, a two defenseman top unit because obviously you want to have both those guys out there for the full two minutes. But we'll see if they run a four plus one. I think LeBanc gets up there. If not, then he's off to the second unit and and it's it's going to be a little more difficult for him to hit those super high notes. Um, but he was he was very productive last year. You know, he was top 35 in, in points per 60 last season, uh, 32 and 39 down the back half. And then obviously he bet on himself with that ridiculous one year, one million dollar deal. Um, just given the organization kind of that last kick at the can to go and and make hay and, and kind of go on a run while he was on a cheap contract. And and so he's going to get the deployment. I think he's going to put up the numbers and he's betting on himself to cash in and, and you you know, make seven or eight million maybe next year if he can uh, if he can really hit a home run. Yeah, he's certainly the biggest beneficiary of all the uh, talent exodus on the wing, and and it seems like his spot there is really secure. And and just you know, on a permanent basis, he was so effective last year. So if you bump that up a little bit, and you even adjust for the fact that he's going to be playing in tougher competition, maybe struggling, just the fact that he's going to be playing probably with a Logan Couture full time is going to be uh, awesome for him. Um, another name that I have here is Jaden Schwartz. And I'm interested in him just from the perspective of like, he's sort of the most obvious regression guy from like a, what happened to his shooting percentage last year. And, you know, I, I should temper the expectations here because he does sort of miss a lot of time historically. And I'm not sure how much we can trust him, but you know, just the fact that he was a 13.7% uh, finisher throughout his career. And then last year he shot just 6%, scored only 11 goals and really struggled. Now, the thing is we saw some of that regression already <laughs> come in the playoffs where he had 12 goals in 26 games on 61 shots. And so uh, maybe he got it out of his system a little bit, but this is a guy who just the year before had 59 points in 62 games and had 20 plus goals and despite missing all that time. And so, uh, you know, on a per game basis, I imagine he's going to be really effective again, just because he's a really good hockey player. And, and, you know, they found this combination with him and Tarasenko and Shen in the playoffs. And I imagine We'll see Ryan O'Reilly bump up there a little bit and maybe they'll move around and they could they're one of those teams that has enough forward talent and enough pieces that they could have their lines in a blender a little bit as well as we saw in the playoffs. But I think that um, you know, considering that I imagine he's going at the end of drafts and no one's really in on him, like he's another guy where it just seems like this one year aberration has taken everyone completely off of his end. No, it absolutely has. One of those drafts I was telling about in the one leagues, all of a sudden Jane Schwartz went in round like 17. I had no idea if he was still on the board. He was just <laughs> someone I completely forgot about. And uh, despite that that big playoff run where he put up the 20 points in 26 games, and like you said, he he was clicking at close to 20%, and I think that that's going to you know regress back to the mean a little course, bit yeah. too. But uh, you know he was finishing at even strength a whole heck of a lot too. So I, the my, my one concern with him in producing high numbers for the entirety of the season and whatever that's going to be for him, 60, 70 games maybe, because you, you can always bank on him missing a few, is that his his power play numbers or his deployment there has is just kind of slowly crept down a little bit and so now he lives around the two two and a half minute mark on on the top power play 
because they have two decent power plays in St. Louis. And so now it gets split up a little bit more. So, um, you know, he was a guy that, you know, once upon a time you could bank on double digit power play points for sure, you know, maybe even 15 or 16. And and now we're looking at maybe he's going to get nine or 10. And so I think that that probably keeps him down, but it's a guy that he's shown capable of playing at a very high pace. Um, you know, we're just a year removed from him playing at nearly an 80 point pace. And then he's, he's flashed 70 before that in previous years too. So, you know, I'll, I'll pull up the numbers on what I got for Schwartz here too, but I like him late in those drafts too i wish i was paying more attention in one of the ones that i uh one of the ones i did earlier this year but so i got schwartz up here for 24 goals 57 points in 74 games i think that 74 games is probably a little generous too but you know (laughs) playing at a 65 point pace throughout the season uh on a team that kind of another scoring by committee team a great value late in the draft absolutely um okay one more name here josh morrissey Mm. um you know the jets uh it's about as rough a situation as you can you could possibly have and, and just sort of what a star comparison it was to where they were at two years ago. But, you know, we'll see still what will happen with Dustin Bufflin and hopefully um, everything works out with him, whether that means playing for the Jets or not. Um, and then, you know, they lose Jacob Truba, they lose Tyler Myers, they lose Ben Chirot. Um, They don't really replace those guys like they're expecting Sammy Niku, who I do like as, a, as another sort of lottery ticket at the end of the draft, to come in and play. Uh, I I understand the opportunity is there for Neil Pionk. I just don't think he's good at hockey. And so I mm-hmm. struggle with that where the opportunity's there and he could, you know, fall out of bed and do 30-ish points if he gets power play time on this team. But I just don't really want to be invested in that. I'd much rather gamble on a guy like Niku, who I think at least can be a good player. And with Morrissey, uh, his ADP right now is 162. And I'm not sure if that is adjusted after the D- Dustin Bufflin news came out, but he's a guy that we've seen sort of steadily progress where in year one, he played 19 and a half minutes and had 20 points. In year two, he played 20 and a half minutes and he had 26 points. In year three last year, he played 22 and a half minutes and he had 31 points in just 59 games after missing uh, a bunch of time midseason. And so at least for the time being, I imagine he's basically going to be their do-it-all defenseman where he's going to be playing the number one minutes of five on five and they're going to get him out there as much as they can with their top players. He'll be probably on the top unit power play, just replacing that heavy workload with Buffalo playing three minutes per game on the power play and Truba playing another two. They have a punch of opportunity there to fill. And so I think for Morrissey, we'll see if, you know, maybe it, his draft position adjusts now that people are drafting after the Dustin Buffalo news came out. But if you can still get him this late in the draft, just because he's so low um, in on the, on the ranking, Uh, He seems like a guy that he's a good player. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily the most offensively gifted player by any means, but we still expect this Jets team, despite all of their question marks and all the red flags, to score a bunch of goals because of the talent they have up front. And he seems like a guy who could really benefit from that. Yeah, no, I I think you're spot on. Um, He's another guy that... I think he's his low ADP there is probably a consequence of him missing time because, you know, he put up the 31 points in 59 games. But a lot of a lot of players maybe aren't super serious and they're just kind of sorting by by total points last year. So if he put up the, the 40, 45 point pace that he actually did, that, then I think his numbers would be higher. But what I really like to see from him is that his shot generation is, is improving as well, too. So he's historically a guy who barely put over a shot per game, um, you know, that bumped up to, you know, nearly nearly two last season. And, and that's still only skating under two minutes on the top power play unit. And he's still put up 10 power play points um like you said the, the bufflin situation is that's that's the x factor here right is is if he's gone then that's a ton of ice especially that prime ice that's going to need to be swallowed up and i think morrissey is the he's the natural fit to take over there you know when he was playing in junior in prince albert or Kelowna, is that that was his role was to be a top power play guy and he generated 
a ton of points in the junior leagues doing that too so i think he has i think he has that upside he's not a pure offensive type guy that we can hope that you know maybe he steps in and he gets 60 points a la john carlson and plays three and a half four minutes on the top unit i don't think that's what we're going to see but if bufflin's out and you know even before this went down i fully expected bufflin to miss 25 odd games and then it was going to be more time to shine and then as you said too i think sammy niku is is kind of a wild card as well who's a, a player who is high octane high offense and, and you know he was the ahl defenseman of the year a couple of years ago too so he's he's got the pedigree of putting up big points in, in north american pro hockey too and so now all of a sudden especially if bufflin's gone niku's number two kind of on that pecking order for for uh, power play ice time and if morrissey doesn't grab it and run with it then he's the type of guy that either you took a flyer on late in the draft um, or he's gonna be sitting on the waiver wire that could be a really interesting pickup mid-season as, as those numbers ramp up I like it. Um, give me some. Uh, okay, let's let's. We did an hour on guys we like. Let's uh, let's bang through quickly some guys we don't like or guys we're uh, we're scared of for whatever reasons. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've got a couple here. I think um, I think Jakob Verana is is kind of being heralded as a real nice sleeper this year. Um, and I like Verana. I think he's a very talented guy. I think he's the the best young player, obviously in in Washington's system. They they're void of any real high impact prospects coming up the ranks. But you know, in one year leagues, he's not getting on that top power play unit. That's just not happening at this point. Um, and and that's all that really matters kind of in Washington. So he'll play with Nick Backstrom at even strength on the second line. And that's, that's going to be good. That's going to help him get probably 25 goals and 50 points. But that glass ceiling is very thick for him. And so and then if you're in a keeper league, you're looking long term. You're like, all right, well, one day, you know, Oshie's going to be moving off that. And and, and even Ovechkin's going to be gone. But then you're looking at what? It's going to be Verana and Kuznetsov and then a bunch of scrubs unless they, they trade out some of this talent and get some talent coming back. So he's a player I'm concerned about with people projecting to hit 60, 65 points. I like it. Um, yeah. Definitely a talented player, but you're right. Just in terms of opportunity, like it seems like uh, he probably is what he is. He could, he could probably benefit from more five on five usage just because he was playing like 14 something minutes a night. But um, you're right. I think the ceiling definitely is there. Um, I have Phil Kessel on my list. Mm. Um, I love Phil. I feel bad yeah. saying bad stuff. Phil's, Phil's the best. But, you know, at an ADP of 63 right now, just because, and I imagine the, the move from Pittsburgh to Arizona has already been baked in based on where he was going in previous years while he was a member of the Penguins. But he's just a guy that, I mean, over the past three years, 44% of his point production, his elite point point production came on the power play and only Nikita Kucherov had more power play points in that time than his 108 over the past three years and so he goes from the fourth ranked power play with Crosby, Latang, Malkin, Hornquist in front of the net to last year's 26th ranked power play and I understand that you know he had something to do with Pittsburgh's power play being that good and coming to Arizona I imagine they're envisioning their power play being better because of him but I just think from a volume perspective um I don't love his point production. Clearly, he's been also an elite shot generator over the past few years, although as guys like him age and and, and lose a step, that tends to come down a little bit as well. And, you know, I don't expect him to fall off a cliff here at age 32, but I do think that at that range, there's just, I found that there's a bunch of other guys that I seem to prefer more to him or gravitate towards as opposed to all the risk that comes with him in his new situation. No, I think that's spot on too. I think a lot of things need to go right for him to to even push up into 75 points next season or let alone replicate the 82 that he had last year. And so I, I thought it was crazy that, you know, when he got traded to Pittsburgh, we we're all forecasting, you know, how many 40 goal seasons is he going to have? How many 50 is he going to have? And, you know, and, and I don't think he even hit 35 once with them. So his, his his goal scoring metrics are sliding down a little bit. You know, the shot generation dipped below three shots a game last season. He's still a high conversion finisher. So he's going to get, you know, he's going to click at 12, 13 
10% most likely. Um, and then he's going to improve that top power play. And I think that if him and Clayton Keller, who's a, you know, a, a very highly talented player who can distribute the puck, if those two click at even strength and on the top power play unit, then obviously the, the Coyotes power play is going to improve too. But, you know, the days of him putting up 35, 40 points on the power play, I think are probably over, especially at age 32. And as you said too, is that he's a speed driven player um, who's a, who's a high conver- conversion finisher. And so that means that he uses his speed to get his shot off and, and that that's not going to last forever. And so, you know, we're not sure if that's going to be that age 32 or age 33 season where the, the half step kind of slows down and all of a sudden he's getting his shots deflected a lot more than he previously had. Um, you know that that's yet to be seen but but i'm with you i think that if he can if he can hit 25 goals and 70 points next season i think that's a big win but for him getting drafted around the 60 60th spot overall that there's probably going to be some better options mm-hmm. uh yeah. who else do you have on your list i got a couple more guys here um i've got uh, ryan donato okay and uh, I, I liked what he did post trade there out of Boston and heading to mini. Um, you know, he, he was he was shooting a ton. So, you know, he was averaging just about 11 shots per 60 minutes, which was top 20 last season for the entirety of the season. So that that's that's high end generation for sure. But, um, you know, I, I don't really see a spot for him in the top six at this moment. So, I, you know, I think Zucker, Fiala, Zuccarello and, and then Zach Parise are probably pretty safe bets to lock up those top six wings. Um, so that leaves him playing with maybe Luke Kunin or Joel Erickson Eck on the third line. And then he's getting second power play unit and you know we just keep saying it is that you got to get that ice time so he's a shooter he's a finisher but if he's not getting top power play and if he's not seeing top six ice then we're looking at a guy who's going to be playing 12 13 minutes a night at even strength and maybe a minute minute and a half on the power play and i think that that's going to mute those totals yeah i like it i like uh i'm generally staying away from the minnesota wild in terms of, i think there's obviously value to bigly in there especially later in the draft and uh, i gotta stay on brand with my kevin fiala love but um yeah I don't it, want my it is uh, as a situation that you know um i don't i don't think the upside there is necessarily in place um Here's a name that I had on my list that I don't necessarily dislike because I think that the concerns and the red flags have been baked into his ADP of 91. Like if he was a couple rounds higher, then I would definitely be uh, all against him. But Elias Lindholm is an interesting name to me just because his first and second half splits, and especially around the all-star breaks, the first 50 games versus the final 30. And then if you include that, whatever that pitiful excuse of a postseason run was for Calgary, um, are, are as drastically different as you as you can be you know he comes out of the gate he's playing with sebastian uh, with uh johnny goodrow and he lights the world on fire he's got 28 goals in 51 games he's on fire uh he's got 58 points he's shooting 20 percent, and then all of a sudden the final 30 games that completely dries up he goes to shooting under 10 percent again which is what he's been throughout his career in carolina and you're getting six goals in 30 games and you're only getting 20 points and you know it's still a, a valuable player especially um He's going to get that opportunity that we like a lot on the top power play and playing with with uh, I want to say Sebastian Ajo with Johnny Goodrow full time, but I am worried about him as if people think that just because of a situation he's this uh, elite finisher all of a sudden that's money in the bank for thirty thirty five goals and seventy ish points. Um, I just uh, I'm I'm a bit worried about what his ceiling as an actual offensive talent is. I'm with you. I've I've always been very, you know, pretty cool on him, even even when he was kind of lighting the world on fire for the first, you know, 60, 70 percent of the season last year is that it just didn't seem like it was going to continue. And obviously being exposed to Monaghan and Goodrow, that is going to that's going to provide dividends for a player. And so that should continue for him. But, you know, for for my money, looking at his ADP here is that, you know, am I taking him before Nick Backstrom or Willie Nylander or even Evgeny Dadunov? And I'm I'm not probably because I feel like those guys are a far more safer bet, especially Nylander and Dadunov 
because the wing options is that you know I think that they're pretty pretty safe bets for for 60 65 points with that 70 75 plus point upside and I think that Lindholm is probably more the the player that we saw the first four or five years of his career where he's going to click around you know eight nine ten percent um he's going to put up maybe two shots a game and then uh, you know maybe he's going to put up 20 20 goals and, and 60 points and I just I feel I feel that there's higher value there's there's higher upsides um in players that are being drafted behind him in uh, in these yahoo drafts for sure but again top line top power playing calgary that's not a bad spot to be so he's gonna get his points too yep um with yep. you it's a high to high octane offense um is there any other names you want to talk about or do you want to get into goalies a little bit here um, I've got yeah, I've got a few goalies I want to chat about, but the the first one on my board here is uh, on my list is, is Corey Schneider. Mm. Um, I I think that he's uh, he's kind of been left for dead a little bit, and with just cause, with the, you know the numbers that he's put up in, in recent seasons uh, has been deflating to say the least. But as we you know we talked about New Jersey, very exciting team. Uh, many people are expecting Blackwood to kind of steal that job and, and be a sexy pick to break out, but I, I still think that it's going to be Schneider. He's going to be the man, and they're going to be an upstart team. And you know this is it's easy to forget this is a guy who led the all-time career save percentage list for a long stretch and you know he still lives in the top 10 despite you know hanging around that 880 mark for for way too long the last couple seasons um but it seems like the hips are fixed now and uh, you know he showed in those back 17 20 22 games whatever it was that uh, that he looked like he was back to form where he put up a, a 923 save percentage he was especially good on the on the penalty kill in that back stretch too which is always a great sign for a netminder i feel um they gain a lot of confidence they're your best penalty killer and he was putting up some really strong numbers on the PK um, you know if he can stay healthy which is the the big if but it, it seems like the hips are ready to go for the season that if uh, if he is healthy I, I like 50 plus starts from Schneider on, an, on a team that's going to be pushing for a playoff spot absolutely I mean his ADP of 176 like at, at that point if he's not healthy you can cut bait but he definitely mm-hmm. I love the way he ended last year it's an improved team that we expect to be very competitive and so it's a good situation that kind of ties into my general theory when it comes or my or strategy when it comes to fantasy hockey which is I typically don't pay for saves and mostly because I believe fully that as the year gets going maybe you'll exit the draft and you won't like your goalies but especially if it's a deeper league you are going to be able to find quality starts in the waiver wire. I mean, last year in my league, I picked up Robin Leonard, I picked up Darcy Kemper, I picked up Yaro Halak, and all, all three of those guys were, I think, top 10 goalies by the end of the year on the player radar because of their uh, rate stats. And so uh, if you're looking for uh, just specifically volume, then maybe you're going to want to get some of these starters. But I, I find myself always gravitating towards uh, these guys who are in timeshares on good teams because you know that they're not going to completely blow up and falter. And so as we're seeing with the goalie landscape changing around the league where only six goalies last year started more than six, 60 games, uh, there's so many 50-50 splits there. And with the success those teams had and how we talk about how the NHL is a copycat league, if you're a team looking out there and you see the success the Islanders had with Grice and Leonard, or you see the success the Stars had with Bishop and Hudobin, or you see what Boston was doing with Rask and Halak and how it really freed up Rask to have an, an epic playoff run because of how well-rested he was, why wouldn't you gravitate towards that, assuming you have two capable bodies? So I think we're going to see teams do that more. And I think the years of the workhorse where you're getting 65, 70 starts automatically are out the door. And so if that's the case, I like some of these guys like Yaro Halak at ADP of 166, like Corey Schneider, as you mentioned. I mean, even I take a flyer on a Cam Talbot in, in Calgary taking the job from Dave Riddich. I'd, I'd say... Um, 
James Reimer in Carolina, Pavel Francouz in, in Colorado. There's so many of these guys that have upside that basically aren't even being drafted. And I like, I like those guys more than paying for Andre Vasilevsky in the first round, for example. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, another guy who's sitting here at a 156 ADP is is Jacob Markstrom, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who who I think was top three in quality starts last season. Um, and you know, a lot of people again they they like the sexy young player that they think Thatcher Demko could steal this job. But for my money, I think Markstrom takes another step forward on on a kind of a rejuvenated Vancouver club. And and if you can get him at around 160 in your draft, like he could end up being your number one netminder on this team. And you know, you can kind of go up the list too. I think that that anti ranted Darcy Kemper split. Uh, I'd love to handcuff those two guys because again, a lot of people are are thinking it's going to be Ranta's job. Uh, but Kemper was tremendous for them last season, you know? So, and then, then kind of the fun one too, that I, I like um, is, is Philip Grubauer and he's sitting with an ADP of 76, which is higher than I would have expected for him. But I guess people are getting on that Colorado uh, train and, and they're really driving it hard. But I think that this is another player that who could, who could put up, you know, 35 wins in 50, 52 games sort of thing. And that's going to provide a ton of value for him. I mean, even if you have, uh, like, if you have deep benches, like, I know he's not sexy, but like Curtis McElhaney on Tampa Bay. I mean, we saw last year Louis, Louis Domingue, what he did. And, and obviously we know what McElhaney did on a worst team in Carolina. And so I think he's getting, I don't, I imagine they have Stanley Cup aspirations and they don't want to play Andre Vasilevsky 65 times. So I think McElhaney is going to get quite a bit of run there as well. And what we expect to be arguably the best team in the league again and so whether it's Vasilevsky at 9 or Bishop at 13 or Bobrovsky at 20 or even Flurry and Rask in the top 25 like I'm just staying away from all those situations I think the level of forward you can get there um, is so high that I'm always gravitating towards a skater there as opposed to the the high goalies at least in the first in the top 50 I'd say yeah, spot on. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, too, for sure. And and people that do jump up on Vasilevsky early, it's like, yeah, you're going to have yourself someone locked in. But what did you pass up on? Exactly. Um, and then the, the kind of last guy I'll mention here is UC Saros, who's who's sitting at ADP at 177 behind Schneider and Blackwood and Merz Lincolns. And, and, you know, for a long time, this is the juicy fruit. Like it's 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 going to move you. And I think he's going to get this job one of these days. And, and all it takes is a little quick injury for, for Pecorine. And, and, you know, he's running running the ball on a, on a very good team in the West, too, that can provide a lot of a lot of saves and a lot of wins okay let's rattle through a couple quick questions here to close out the show um and the first question comes from adam filipovich whoa how did that one get oh. in here um <laughs> he asks does the immediate success of rasmus dalian and mira heiskanen last year embolden you to take a chance uh and maybe even reach a little bit in your drafts on the quinn hughes kale mccarr let's even throw eric brandstrom into that list as being potential legitimate difference makers just because of how talented we think they are and and the reason i ask that is because clearly the landscape we talked about how it's shifted for goalies and goalie usage i mean there was a time very recently where you just wouldn't see young defensemen be given the leash and be given the opportunity to play as much and be as effective as as they are but with the league shifting to a younger um, sort of threshold and with teams embracing aging curves and how they're younger for the prime of these players that we thought um, we're seeing these guys actually get the opportunity to play big minutes right out of the gate. And so with those guys like the McCars and the Quinn Hughes of the world, they're obviously sort of, there's a lot of buzz around them. There's a lot of hype and they're, and they're very trendy picks. But if you think they're going to be legitimate difference makers, then they probably still aren't even going high enough. 
No, I, I think that's right. I'm I'm all aboard the the Kale McCarr train. Um, I, I think that 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 job on that top power play in Colorado, which is as juicy as it comes, is pretty well locked in for him. I know Sam Girard is a really nice player who I like as well too, but it's it's going to be McCarr's job, right? I think from day one, and he'll run with it. And you know, in that situation, even as a rookie defenseman with his skill set, I think that what we saw as he jumped in at the tail end after he finished school last year is that you know things aren't going to be as rosy. There will be some some hiccups as the season goes on, but. You know, if he's living on that top power play, and I'm sure they're going to shelter him a little bit at five on five, too, that there's really no reason that he he can't put up a 50 point pace. Um, and then I think that the 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 shine is just a little less for Quinn Hughes, just because the talent around him isn't going to be as high in, in Vancouver. And, and that's no disrespect to Elias Pettersson, who I think is an absolute superstar. But, um, you know, they don't they don't fill it out as well as Colorado does. And I don't think that his job is as secure as McCars. I think at this point, uh, I'm expecting Hughes to get that top power play job, but it's it's, it's not locked in and, and we, we can Over see Travis Alex Edler's dead body. Yeah, but you could see it, right? Because they want the shot on the point. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe they run a three plus two in Vancouver and they, and they get Edler and Hughes up there or they put Myers up there, but they want a big one timer on the point for some reason. And so I think that's the, the only thing that maybe could be holding Hughes back. But at the same time, like, if Hughes is playing on that top power play unit, he's going to be in the corner for half the time anyways. We, we see the way this kid plays the game, right? He's got the puck on his stick and he goes for a, for a loop or three. Um, so I am, I'm, I'm a believer in both those players. I think that Hughes uh, has a, a real realistic shot at hitting 40 points, maybe even 45 if things go well for him. And then Makar probably do set up five, uh, five, seven, eight points. Uh, Eric Branstrom, I do not think is going to be that impact player. I think Thomas Shabbat is just going to eat up, swallow mm-hmm. all that, all the juicy minutes there. And, and Branstrom, he's, he's going to be able to transition the puck and create a little off offense at five on five but you know ottawa is kind of void of talent at five on five for the most part too outside of a couple of young players so um, i'm not buying on branstrom but but for sure with mccarr and uh, and hughes and then you know in a couple of seasons we're going to be looking at adam boyquist doing the same thing pushing up um you know we'll, we'll have to talk about bone byram in a couple of years too is he going to be able to force his way into some fine uh, some fun ice too so there's it's really neat to see the young defenseman kind of go you know they don't have to be these big bruisers as they once were is that they go high in the draft and then you can kind of pencil them in and in two seasons that they're going to be on your club and that they're going to be put into offensive situations are we speculating on anyone uh to play with mcdavid and dry i mean isn't it isn't it zach cassian 100 percent, right well no but so my question is are you drafting <laughs> zach cassian as if he's going to have that role full time no, I, I think I think he'll get moved around a ton. You know, like they'll, it's it's so sad to see, but I'm sure we'll see Alex Chase on up there for a minute. They might put James Neal on his off wing. You know, like Riley Sheehan. Like it's gonna be, it's probably gonna be pretty yuck throughout the year. And um, like I grabbed Zach Cassian in the last round of like a 20 round league um, draft just just because I was like, well, you know, he's probably not gonna see any power play time, but he's gonna he's gonna hit and maybe he's gonna live with McDavid for a little bit, sort of thing. But it's ugly out there, and if. You mean like what do they do in Edmonton? Like it, it's tough. I, I would personally split up Dry Settle and McDavid, but it only makes sense if you have some cool wingers to play with both of them, and you don't. So I guess you just keep them together, and they hope the two of them can put up you know fifty goals each and and hundred points, and and that's what you can cheer for as they go for another top ten draft pick. Yeah, it's almost impossible if you were actively trying to have a worse situation around those guys. It would be really tough to even make it this bad. I mean. Oh, it's it's ugly. But I mean, as we saw last year, Alex Chasson, uh, when he was playing with those guys, he was producing um, and even Ty Ratty had a bit of a cameo mm-hmm. there and the Cassian towards the end of the year. So it's one of those situations where whoever plays with those guys 
is going to be is going to be very productive but it might be more of a sort of a, a daily fantasy thing where you figure out who's going to be playing with them on a given night and you plug them into your lineup as opposed to a, a season-long investment but a similar question here is who's going to be playing with Crosby and Gensel because that's another spot obviously it seems like those two guys are going to be paired up for good and then whoever plays in that third spot even if it's a guy who's probably not going to be playing with them on the top power play it's still going to be a very cushy five-on-five gig Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. If I had my way, uh, I would I would probably get Jared McCann up there, um, who I think who's got speed and skill and a little bit of, a little bit of grit and sandpaper to his game that could maybe complement those players. Uh, but uh, it's probably going to be Dominic Cahoon, uh, or maybe it's going to be Brian Rust, or maybe it's going to be Patrick Hornquist. I think there's a lot of options there too. Um, it's it's disappointing to kind of see what's happening in Pittsburgh there. I love Jake Gensel, and then obviously Crosby and Malkin are, are who they are, and we 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 obviously have all all the time in the world for them, but. Um, it's I think the the Penguins run at the top of the standings is is in is in free fall at this point. And I think that they're going to be kind of a bubble team to make the playoffs and that the numbers are going to shrink for everyone. Uh, you know, maybe Crosby can push 90 points. Maybe Malkin can play at a point per game sort of thing. And, and Gensel can maybe replicate that 40 goal, 70 point season. But I'm not I'm not expecting any more step forwards for any of these players. And I think a lot of it hinges on if Chris Letang can stay healthy and generate that offense from the back end. Yeah. Yeah, McCann's the name I want to take a flyer on. I mean, uh, you know, he bounced around the lineup. I think he might be a bit too valuable for them as a third-line center, potentially, just from a, a real-life perspective. But I love the idea of surrounding Crosby with two trigger men like Gensel and, and McCann. And he showed, I mean, he had the 11 goals in 32 games with the Penguins, and, and not that wasn't even exclusively with Crosby. So I think he has the highest upside, and if I was taking a flyer there, it would be on him. But I'm, I just don't trust the opportunity at this point. Uh, one final thing, who's the name... Um, that you would see yourself like. Let's frame this two ways. One is who would you that's outside the first round right now um, that you could see yourself reaching because you're just all in on them having a monster season. Or you could also frame it from the perspective of who's a name currently going, you know, sizably out of the first round. Let's not say like the fifteenth overall guy who you could see being uh, in the top ten by the end of the season. Yeah, I think Sebastian Ajo going, you know, in the late third round there, I, I get it that he's a centerman and there's lots of good centers too. But, you know, I think this kid could put up 90, 95 points next season. Um, you know, if you're looking at, uh, if you're looking at another guy too, I think Alex Debrinkett, I think Elias Pettersson going in the 45 to 50 range that... I think Pedersen for sure is is the type of guy that he has one of the largest ranges of, of expectations of anyone in the league. So I, I think that there's a there's a real case to be made that he could end up the season putting up, you know, 67 points in 70 games. And, and that wouldn't be too outrageous, but that he could also step in and put up 90, 92 points in a full season and, and really assert himself as a true superstar. And that if you if you somehow got him at the tail end of the fourth or early fifth round, then then obviously you're laughing all the way to the bank. But um, yeah, to Brinkett too is a finisher too. Uh, I think Patrick Line is being slept on as soon as he gets signed up. Mm-hmm. Um, John Carlson is still kind of in that third, fourth round range, and and there's no reason to expect him not to get his four minutes of power play a night and to get his sixty odd points from the back end. And and especially in multi cat leagues, like he's arguably a you know the number two defenseman on any board out there for sure. So um, there's a few guys sitting outside on the on these ranges too. And then you know I'm not buying on Jordan Binnington. 
Um, no. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, you know, uh, as, as he's, he's sitting there, what is like a top six, seven goalie off the board right now on Yahoo. Um, I'm not buying on Tyson Berry. I think that the, the word is kind of out the cats out of the bag there that his, his numbers are really inflated by his power play deployment. And if Morgan Riley's going to get all those juicy minutes at that, that second power play in, in Toronto, sure. It's got Willie Nylander on it, but, um, that's going to probably cut his ice in half on the power play and cut those PPPs down as well too. So there's a few guys I'm not buying on. Yeah, the the line A thing is crazy that he's uh he's going forty four. I get it that it's it's a very contentious situation and you could conceivably see it playing into the season, but um you know, last year we were, I remember having conversations about how high in the first round he should go and we had, it, the fact that his stock has fallen this much after a year where his shooting percentage depreciated and pretty much everything that went wrong could have uh, this guy's still what twenty one years old or something like that. So yeah. I am uh, I'm pretty optimistic on him and I think if you're drafting and you can get him in that 40, 40, 40 45 range, uh, even maybe probably fall into the fifties, um, I would be all over that. I think Taylor Hall um, mm-hmm. current ADP of twenty nine. Uh, you know we're not too far removed from him being just a, a complete world beater and we like that situation obviously and he's got a lot to play for this year so i like that and and, and jack eichel at 39 i just i like his volume i think uh he has another gear to take uh assuming this buffalo sabers team can kind of put it together a little bit and take another step towards um you know competency and they got some blue liners that can get him the puck uh in transition in speed now with speed now and he his volume the fact that i think he could probably be 35 goals 90 points 300 shots and 21 something minutes like all of that seems very doable for him based on his trajectory and so if you can get that guy in the in the late 30s that seems like a, another slam dunk pick, pick for me yeah i'm with you there too I'm, I'm i think i'm a little softer on tarasenko as well who's going you know before uh eichel mm-hmm. um I, I think that he's obviously a safe bet for probably 30 goals and, and 65 points but and he's going to generate some shots but not to the same level as eichel and i don't think that the upside for him to take another step forward is is the same as eichel's there too so I, i'm with you on that okay um all right okay well let's uh let's get out of here let's plug uh some stuff so Tell everyone where they can find you um, about your projections and how they can get access to those and and the full story there and, and all the stuff you want to plug before we get out of here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'd, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, mention. So yeah, just recently got promoted up to uh, director of film scouting at Elite Prospects. Um, so our EP ringside crew is uh, we're, we're bringing in a whole bunch of talent. We got Mitch Brown, JD Burke's doing a great job of bringing in a, a bunch of quality people, Rachel Dory. Um, and so it's really exciting times over there. If you're not a part of uh, Elite Prospects or the premium pass there, you should look at it. We're, we're doing a lot of scouting, a lot of analysis and then quality content too, which is usually uh, missing from a lot of these scouting reports. Um, for me, my player projections this year too um i do over 300 skaters 40 goaltenders and, and then a bunch of interesting rookies and then uh this year i'm putting 50 percent of the proceeds are going to um to the uh, amazon rainforest alliance uh this is a group that you know for the last three or four decades has been just out there trying to protect preserve and maintain the Amazon rainforest. And obviously it's been in the news a lot this year with all those fires going over there. This is a, you know, these are the lungs of our planet and we're losing over a hundred thousand acres of forest daily. Um, and all the people and all the animals that are living amongst that too. So, uh, I'm trying to, trying to push that as much as I can. And then I'll be uh, posting the receipts once we get there and we've been doing pretty well too. So hopefully I can uh, maybe get it up to a thousand bucks on the donation there, which would be nice. Um, obviously doing the work at Dauber prospects too, got the rankings out there. Um, yeah, doing, doing lots of stuff at Dauber hockey with the, with 
with the fantasy side and uh, with our little podcast on Sportsnet 650 with uh, Satir Shah. So many hats being worn these days. Mm. Well, you're doing great work, man. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come chat. This was a, a blast. And uh, we'll get you back on the show as the year gets along. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be fun to kind of do some check-ins and see where we're at with a lot of these players and maybe do like a mid-season review or something and then look back at uh, some of our predictions and some of the stuff we said here on today's show and see how that panned out. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. Let me know. Okay, cool, man. Uh, we'll chat soon. Sounds good. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast.